0: The Title Block, episode number two, Michelle Ramsey, part two. Hey, it's gonna snow tonight. Welcome back to The Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. And I am your host, Michael Cruz, and thank you for joining us again. It's great to have you here to continue our discussion about Canadian theatre design. This is episode number two, and this week I continue my chat with lighting designer Michelle Ramsey, but first, uh, just some housekeeping notes. The origin of the term title block, if uh, you are a new initiate To theater. It refers to the portion of a technical drawing uh, in which the title, the author, and the uh, name of the designers and possibly the director are listed. So when we refer to the title block, we're of course referring to the people inside the title block. Those are the people I'm interested in speaking about on the title on uh, this podcast. Uh, We are now on iTunes, so please leave a review. That would be terrific. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at the title block CA and on Facebook as the title block and show notes are all at www.thetitleblock.com. As I said, this week I conclude my chat with lighting designer Michelle Ramsey, where we speak of some of her favorite shows and her work on theater festivals in Toronto. I will be posting several archival photos so you can see what we are talking about in the show. So go to the website and check that out. Here's the rest of our chat. I will see you at the end of the show to wrap up. And we're back. With Michelle Ramsey, lighting designer. Hello, <laughs> hello. Welcome. So we had just talked about um, your kind of general philosophy and your approach to mm-hmm. lighting design. Um, I wanted to talk about something that I that I've never done before, which is uh, sort of work on a collaborative mm-hmm. design. Now, obviously, theater is by its very nature collaborative work, and that we learn to work in teams mm-hmm. and create a piece of art as a team but when you're working on one aspect of it like especially lighting design which is i mean most lighting designers sort of sit in their lighting design cave and do their (laughs) thing and then they go to the work right it's a very isolated kind of procedure right for very much of the process how do you um work with another designer on the same design Mm
1: -hmm. well i think um uh the 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 designs that i've um Uh, worked on where I've had a co-designer or I've associated uh, associated with someone or other people have associated with me Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, generally it's because um, of availability so either I get asked or they get asked to do the show and um, I'm available for part of it and or the other person is only available for part of it but they really want to stay involved in the project so um I've had a couple of shows where I've taken over shows from people, uh, or I've given shows up, or you know, like part 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 way through the process as well. Um, but the co-designing thing, um, there have been a couple of circumstances where uh, I've worked with one designer through the whole process up until um, up until a certain point, and then they and and then they leave, um, and it's really. For me, it's it really depends on the co-designer, on the other designer. So if if your uh, design aesthetics are similar, then you're generally going to be okay. Right. Um, Or if there's a more senior person and you're um, uh, answering to them, then you know, basically you're just taking over design for them or that that kind of thing. Then that that, that's the other way it works. But
0: yeah. Now you've um, do you find them? Are there any way? Are there in any way? better than just doing it by yourself or are there are advantages to doing it besides mm-hmm. the time management issue. Yeah. Are the things that come out of it that are that you wouldn't that wouldn't happen if you're just doing it by yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh uh because lighting designers don't ever work with other lighting designers, it 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 becomes a really great way to um come up with new ideas or uh, actually speak to to someone about design specifically instead of just in a more general way um, to kind of uh, figure out a new a new angle that you've never tried before. Um try a new color you've never tried before. Um, work on different, you know different queuing. Way, w- different ways to cue things. Like I think it's, I think it's a really great way to um, just expand your education. Really, right?
0: Did, yeah. Have you ever did you um, assist anywhere as N- part of your? No,
1: I yeah. mean I assisted Andrea Lundy on a couple of shows, but that was again another like she she had to leave at some point in the process, and I would take over for her. Um, and that's, I mean, that for me was a really great uh, education because I she I find her design, um, her design aesthetic is is really. Uh, has really influenced me in a lot of ways. Right. So, yeah.
0: Um, I found it, um when I first started the Shaw Festival, it was mm-hmm. a real brand new experience for me to be in a room yeah. full of six designers, sometimes, mm-hmm. and having discussions you would never ever have, even yeah. at, in the university level, or even if you're at the bar with your colleagues afterwards. It was yeah. really, really different. Um, how about now? The division of what about the division of labor? So, mm-hmm. I mean. There's one person communicating with the operator. Do you guys decide beforehand, or does it just really depend on the show? Um, Yeah,
1: it really depends on the show. Um, Like uh, my first, my first co-design was with Andrea Lundy on uh, Russell Hill, which was a long time ago. Um, But she was definitely the more senior designer, and she did the queuing of the show, and then I think I took over at some point in Q to Q. So she, so she would do. Uh, most of the communication with the director and that kind of thing. Um, and I really just took over the show from her. Um, I mean, I, I, I did influence a little bit in Q2Q and that kind of thing, but um, but that one in particular was definitely uh, a, a lot of it was her. Um Uh, In terms of my work with, uh, my later collaborations with uh, Rebecca Pichorek, who I worked with quite a lot, um, or had in the past, have in the past, uh, those were more collaborations, I would say, so... we did a show called China it all together, which was a, a Nightwood show and we co-PM'd and co PM'd oh and co-designed. Yeah, I know we were I ridiculous. That was Margie yeah. Chen's yeah. work. Right. Yeah. Marjorie yeah. Um, but, and, and I can't remember exactly uh, how it went, but I, I know that, uh, I think she was on headset for part of it. Maybe I was on headset for the, for the other part, but it was very much more a division. The division of labor was a little bit more equal. Um, Uh, And then in the case of Rough House, which um, uh, was a show that um, basically the designer had to operate it as well. And I think she I think how it came about was she was only available for uh, up until opening or just before opening, and then I kind of took it over, something like that. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but, um, yeah.
0: Well, that's great. So let's talk about Rough House for a second. So tell mm-hmm. me what the tell me about the actual play. It was, it's written by and performed by Andy Massey, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Directed by Brian Kurt. Yeah.
1: What was it about? Um... <laughs> It, it. What was it about? That's an interesting question. It was. It was. Con- <laughs> it's pretty innocent, I think. When I when someone well, says,
0: "What well, do you want to go see a show?" I say, "Well, what's it about?"
1: Uh, it was about one man in a room with a a bowl, a light bulb, and a chair. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it came out of some original. Um, uh, the original concept of the idea of the of the show was that I think how it happened is that Brian approached Andy and said, "I want you to do this show about Pratt Falls." Um, so, um, Buster Keaton and that kind of thing. Um, and Andy, uh, Andy and Rebecca and Brian started working together and workshopping the piece together. And then I came in for the production, the production process. Um, and we started rehearsing, uh, and we had this, this, this light bulb that was a puppet and would sort of, you know, not necessarily force him into things, but, (laughs) you know, it, the room was definitely the, uh. The the room was in charge of what was happening.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So you could rein him in when he went off script. Yeah, exactly. Was there a script or was it all... It was
1: all... It was wordless. It was all... It was wordless. Yeah. Okay.
0: Was there a plan or was it improv, the whole thing?
1: Uh, There was was definitely a plan. There was a lot of really specific choreography that had to happen. Um, The light bulb would, um, um, you know... uh, come in and 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 swing around and he and there was a lot of really specific things that we had to do in order to not hurt him <laughs> so it would like hit him in the hit him in the face um uh but not really hit him in the face because you know <laughs> you don't want to as much as you want to hit somebody in the face yeah exactly it's, it's, i thought uh, he would have a problem with yeah that, exactly certainly. and and then uh but the but the, de- the design the lighting design had um uh, was so integral to the piece. Um, there, it had a lot to do with, um, containment and, um, uh, and kind of, um, um, pushing him into something, like pushing him into doing things. Um, so, uh, there was a sequence of, um, of, of, uh, a choreographic sequence where light boxes would come up, top top light boxes would come up, and he would try and catch them. And as soon as he got into the box, another one would come up.
0: Oh. So it was. Describe the light boxes to me. Were they actual physical pieces? No, or they, they were, were just squares, they were just squares, square, squares okay.
1: of light on the floor. Right. So he would, you know, he would get into one of them and try and catch it. But right. then, you know, it would then it would go up onto the wall, and then his shadow was caught caught on the wall. And there were. Uh, there was a lot of shadow work as well. So Andy and Brian are so um, brilliant at playing, right? So we would do, um, when we were creating the piece, um, we would do things like, and this is where Rebecca and I would kind of work together. She, you know, we would turn on a couple lights and, and focus things together. And, you know, we would, um, there's one thing right at the top of the show where there's a chair um, in front of a, of a wall with a shadow of the chair on the wall. And then um, the chair, the actor, uh, Andy, pulled the chair away and there was still a shadow of a chair on the wall. And it was just an optical illusion, like, we backlit a chair. But, you know, we kind of discovered that through our collaboration. Right. Um,
0: Were you in rehearsal for the entire process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like it had to be.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because it was really, like, the light was really another character in the show. Right. Yeah. What a great
0: opportunity. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> uh, and, and... well. Uh, that's a that's a big commitment for a lighting yeah. designer. How many weeks yeah. of rehearsal was that? Oh geez, um,
1: three? I can't I can't I can't quite remember. That's a actually. big commitment
0: for for usually yeah. contracts are what two yeah. two and a half weeks, yeah. and then you're doing two other things at the same time. Yeah. So how? Yeah. Um, I imagine that's why you needed two of you to, to be there. That was the advantage of having both of you yeah. on the, on the yeah. show.
1: Yeah,
0: great. And uh, you did very well. You got a Dora. Yeah. out of that. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Check one
0: <laughs> for Dora's. Um, now. That's House. I want to move on to mm-hmm. another sort of um, a larger piece that is, is again, sort of more movement-based mm-hmm. uh, or mixed media. And that was um, April 14th, 1912, yeah. which is about the Titanic. Yes. Right? <laughs> that, my history serves me yes. well. Yes. Tell me about that show. How, how did it come about? First of all, when was it produced?
1: Uh, it was produced in 2000. Oh, memory. 2006? I've lost my position. I don't know. So let's find out.
0: <laughs> oh, it doesn't say. Uh Once it may have I? been 2005. I think yeah. it was
1: 2005. We, we we start we we did one production of it and then we toured it for a couple of years after that in oh, various that. places. Okay. So yeah.
0: And how did, were you involved? Did you have the same kind of involvement with that? Did you did you come in at the beginning of the process and work with the uh,
1: Yeah, I, that the team? that show was with a company that I have a long-standing relationship with. Although that was only my second show with them. Um, theateristical and Alison McMacken, uh, who's the artistic director of, of, um, of the company and also the director of all the shows. Um, and definitely we have a very collaborative kind of way of working. Um, but generally, like I, I try and get into rehearsal quite early and try and get in um, before people are blocked and that kind of thing, or as they're being blocked, so I can kind of understand what's so- happening. So. <laughs>
0: Back to my simplistic mm-hmm. question:
1: What was April the Fourteenth, 1912 oh,
0: yes. <laughs> about? So, tell me about the show. So, we know it's about the yeah. Titanic.
1: Yes, it is about the Titanic. Okay. Um, it was uh, based on the um, the uh, Marconi, um, like the not Marse, Morse code, but the Marconi um, uh, operators. So, it was uh, a lot of the text. Um, it was. It's a movement theater piece, so there were two dancers and and one actor in it. Um, and so two, one of the dancers, one of the actors were the Marconi operators, and one of the dancers was actually the Titanic. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> now,
0: how, wait a second. How was she costumed? She, she
1: she, was costumed. Lucy Rupert was costumed. Okay. And Lindsay Ann Black did this amazing costume design uh, of um, – she used the colors of the ship and dressed her up like, a, um, like an old uh, – oh, what's the word? Yeah. Um, not a can can girl, but like a cigarette a girl. Or yeah, a, a, yeah, like a, a, a oh. <laughs> words. <laughs> <laughs> words are hard. Sometimes. Yeah, words are hard. It's okay. Yeah, um, uh, an old uh, uh, dance hall girl. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, sure. yeah. So she, uh, so she, uh, It really kind of grotesque, and she had like seaweed kind of coming off of her, and it was really beautiful costume in a in a creepy kind of way. Right. Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. So. Uh, You've got these three dancers. One is the Titanic, and the yes. two Marconi operators. Yeah. what was the arc like? What was the was it? What was the point, or what was, uh, the, what was what it was? was the theme? It was
1: basically like the. Uh, uh, we started with the the glory of the of the time of the period, and the um, the lushness of the of 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 the ship, and and the you know how beautiful everything was. Um, and then and then we followed the titanic as she was sinking right. so it was really um it was sort of a strange piece because it didn't really have a uh like the story was um the the story was was about the ship um so basically the story was that uh uh we we followed the ship sinking and we followed her we followed her uh her emotional journey down into the depths of the bottom of the ocean right and how yeah.
0: did you approach that approach <laughs>
1: <clears throat> lots of editing coming ah, out, that's right yeah
0: <laughs> how did you approach that uh from a letting standpoint did mm-hmm. you i mean as a dance piece yeah was there spoken word in it as well
1: yeah there was there was um not a huge amount of spoken word but definitely like the ship spoke um and the and the two officers spoke as well um a, a lot in in what was actually uh transmitted um yeah yeah um so uh i guess with that company in particular it becomes more about evoking the the feeling of the the feeling that uh that you would have at the bottom of the ocean it's not about lighting the bottom of the ocean it's about lighting the feeling if that makes any sense whatsoever no that makes sense yeah
0: yeah i i I, um when describing, when talking with the director, I very often mm-hmm. sort of find out where we're going to draw on that yeah. naturalism to yeah. abstract expressionism scale. Yeah. Where do you draw that line on? It just sounds mm-hmm. like it's much more expressionistic.
1: Absolutely, and absolutely. And and that, that uh, we, I did a lot of uh, sort of research into the Titanic and into what, um, like, you know, I went and saw that the Science Center had a Titanic oh, right. in- exhibit and the artistic director brought us all to the (laughs) of course so field uh, trip exactly so we were able to actually um go and 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 smell the perfume that they found at the bottom of the ocean (laughs) which is insane yeah and it and um uh it was such a, a a really great way to put yourself in in the shoes of those some of the people that were um that that died because it was it's it was a crazy tragedy right like it so kind of honoring honoring that but also um creating um showing the destruction and you know creating the the creating the um there's there's one scene where the where this where the ship is sinking and it's such a lonely lonely slow 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 descent into into the bottom of the ocean so kind of following that and creating that space it was all light and sound and dancer and it, that was it there was no speaking there was no yeah so it was pretty amazing challenge yeah i can imagine yeah. what
0: space was it first producing
1: it was first produced at the harborfront studio theater okay and all right. then um yeah so it was
0: so not a big tall not a very lar- no, tall space it's a no. sort of squat yeah like 12 foot ceiling yeah. or something
1: And we did, uh, Lindsay did the set design. Lindsay Ann Black did the set design for that. And she created this like crazy cold space out of plastic sheeting and a white dance floor. (laughs) And this like. White dance floor? That's a challenge. Yeah. I I love working with, with white. Like it's such a. Um, it, as long as your director is okay with not getting a blackout and not, uh, you know, necessarily isolating people, <laughs> um, then you can do some really amazing things with color. And I think if it wasn't white, we would have been, it wouldn't have worked, I think, um, because I was able to use some really lush greens and really lush um, uh, blues and really kind of do some amazing mixing and that kind of thing. So, Did, um, yeah.
0: was there a lot of bounce? Like, you used yeah. a lot. To, yeah. Like, and yeah, that has to be a feature, obviously. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right? Yeah, and it was. I, I mean, I find that that um, it helps a lot. Actually, it helps fill and it helps. Um, it helps uh, give give a height where where the a black room may not have given the height. So, uh, uh, there, some people have said how that show made them see the studio theater in a completely different way. Like, it it, it, it felt bigger than it actually was. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. It's a very small yeah. space. How much does... Yeah.
0: It only seats, like, 80 to 100 people, right?
1: Um, yeah, I'm not sure how I many, but, yeah, it's small. I haven't been there for a long yeah. time.
0: No. Well, that's excellent. And you got... Dora. Yes. <laughs> number 17 for that. Yeah. No. That's okay. That's terrific. And you've worked with Theodore Rustical several times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Did I've done... Did you find that was Now, that was your second show with that them. That was my second show. How... You obviously have a shorthand with them mm-hmm. now. Yeah, absolutely, but, um, yeah. yeah. How many shows have you done with them?
1: Approximately? Uh, five now.
0: So by that point, they just sort of say, Michelle, go do your thing and then you sort yeah, of I show go, up on the day. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Allison and I have a really... Absolutely a really great shorthand. Like we, you know... We Barely have to speak sometimes, right, <laughs> which is right. amazing that you can uh, reach a point in your career where you just turn to your director and give them a look and you know what they're thinking, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big yeah. advantage, yeah.
0: Uh, terrific. And then that was back in 2006-7-ish, yes. Um, and moving forward, mm-hmm. um, last year, two years ago, a Babarima, mm-hmm. uh, written by Say his name.
1: Taria McCarthy. Taria
0: McCarthy. Directed by Evelyn Perry. Mm-hmm. At Buddies and Bad Times. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Dora number three. No. Dora number seven or Four. something. Four. <laughs> uh, so this show was another one-person one show. Yes. At yeah. Buddies. Yeah. Um and
1: with with a uh, with musician that was on stage nice. um, and was a huge part of the character, you know, a huge character, yeah.
0: Right. And tell us about the arc yeah. of that show. Was it a, was it a narrative again, or was it? A yeah, it
1: was about it was about his uh, um, um, it was about a um, um, uh, a coming of age story, basically, and um, uh, experiences in coming to Canada and coming out in Canada and that kind of thing. It was a fictional story, but it it drew on a lot of his. Um, his previous kind of experience and knowledge, so. Yeah.
0: Right. And how did you approach that? So you're, uh, at this point, you're now well into the mm-hmm. middle of your career. Mm-hmm. You're, you've got a much, On the, you've yeah. got your palette, <laughs> you've got your bag of tricks, as yeah. we say, right? Yeah. Um, do you find it, do you find you're becoming much more efficient, less sort of stumbling around in the dark, figuring yeah. stuff out, or do you still have these moments where...
1: I mean You're kind of stuck. this show this show was great because we were able to do a production workshop so we had um, I think it was two weeks in the theater um, oh, no. in this uh, August, I think it was August. Uh, and this production was uh, like eight months later or something. Um, I can't, time-wise, I can't remember exactly. But um, um, so we were able to be in the room uh, with a mock-up of what we thought the set, set design would look at, look like and really get a good uh, sense of what we wanted to do with the space. So, um, and I think it's, it's quite, it's essential if you want to have a... Um, if you want to be able to have sort of a complete design concept, um, having those workshops are so integral to it. Like it, 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 it really makes a huge, huge difference. I think
0: many times, especially yeah. in the in the past, yeah. their the workshops have been just actors and yeah. scripts yeah. and a playwright yeah. writing furiously and ripping yeah. things up and a dramaturg maybe. Yeah. Um. It certainly is an advantage. It sounds mm-hmm. like to have designers involved in that process. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I, I think because of the way that that I approach design, I approach it in a very sort of dramaturgical way, like, a, um, um, and, and I think that, it, I think it also helps playwrights and it helps new playwrights understand logistically um, what they need to think about as well, um, and, and I think that the, the work that we all did in that workshop really influenced the final product, and um, in, in a good way, and I think that there's definitely uh a strong need for that in, in, in theater. Right. Yeah.
0: How much do you think we should be a slave to the script? Like is is the script a road sign or is it a recipe book?
1: Um, I mean, I think uh, it depends definitely on the script. And I actually went through, uh, I was in rehearsal today for a show and the, um, the playwright who's in the show um, was very quick to cut things because they didn't work immediately Um, and he, and he realized that that was the wrong thing to do, that his, all the the homework that he had done actually did mean something and that, and that, um, and that it was important to, to, um, respect that or at least try it. So, um, so I, I think it definitely depends on the situation, but, um, uh, but the words are there for a reason, so... You
0: know, oh, words (laughs) always get in the way. It is kind of frustrating, though. I mean, especially with lighting design, too. With Mm -hmm. set design, you can have a couple chances to get it wrong. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. now, if it goes horribly wrong too late in the process, you can't fix it. Yeah. Um, But with lighting design, you have such a short period of time in which to get it right. Do you get frustrated by people who sort of don't? Don't understand your process, or don't mm-hmm. understand that the first time it's rarely right.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I sort of think of it in terms and try to explain it in terms of what well, you've had three weeks in the rehearsal hall, and I have one day. Like, <laughs> you know, you can only do you 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 can only do so much conceptualizing in your brain before you actually need to see something. And and if what you see is not what you thought you were going to see, or if what you see is not what the director wants, then definitely it can be a frustrating you've thing. And figure it out that's where you earn yeah. your money as a landing yeah. designer, absolutely, yeah.
0: and make your reputation. I yeah. think as well. Yeah. If you fail at that point, yeah. you've basically failed your entire job.
1: Yeah, and f- I mean, definitely there there are times where I've completely screwed something up, or how I think it, you know, like what I think is gonna it's gonna look like is not a, at all what it's gonna look like and it's okay, and it actually ends up being better. But, uh, you know, that, that kind of happens rarely. <laughs> yeah. Well, really I think when you once screw you, up, you screw up. You really screw up <laughs> yeah. bad. I think once you yeah. get,
0: uh, I mean, everyone has their mistakes yeah. and their bad days. But once you get to a point where you know what you're doing, yeah. um, I think it's much easier to sort of let go of that process yeah. and just accept what happens as yeah. part of the art. It's a yeah. its a—it's live event, right? Yeah. It's not a piece of static that's uh, on static painting. All right, so let's move on to. You've done a lot of work in festivals, mm-hmm. and festivals are a whole different animal, yeah. right? I mean, these ones, the shows that we've spoken about, have been um, have been single productions that have mm-hmm. all the resources that they uh, all the resources that are available are mm-hmm. are yours to do with. Festivals, you have to share, and you mm-hmm. have to negotiate. It mm-hmm. has to be constant sort of compromise. Uh, sometimes a lot of the times to the detriment of the design um you've worked at the you've been the festival designer at the rhubarb yep. festival uh summer works as well mm-hmm. uh the fringe you've production managed mm-hmm. have you designed uh, the fringe is a different model right each yeah. venue has its own designer based on the tech
1: yeah and i've done house plots for fringe and i've also been in the fringe as a as a company and designed fringe shows so yeah
0: uh and the Shaw festival we'll get to in a second that's a whole yeah. kind of larger animal yeah. how do you approach a festival like how does a designer
1: mm-hmm.
0: a festival designer first of all somebody who's responsible to creating the tools for other designers to come in and use how do you approach that and do it fairly and efficiently and and mm-hmm. uh, create something that that is useful
1: uh usually what i what i do especially at the at the Roo-Bart festival i'll write all of the companies ahead of time and say hey what do you guys need what do you want and uh and sometimes i get responses and sometimes i don't um and uh generally i find it you know helpful if even if they're not able to tell me oh i need you know i need six areas of cool front um e- e- even if they tell me oh i need isolation or i need i need um, um, this is the sort of, this is what the play is about. Maybe you can tell me what I need. And that's also helpful. (laughs) Um, so it's just about like managing, um, managing requests from the various, various areas and also, um, uh, making sure that there's enough room for error. So if people have, you know, like, I know that no one's asked for, warm tops but they're probably going to need warm tops at some point in the festival someone's going to want a gobo breakup at some point (laughs) yeah Yeah. gobo breakup yeah as well throw it in there the (laughs) gobo breakup
0: um the rhubarb festival recently lost some funding yes that was quite important yeah um do you want to maybe talk about how you think it's going to impact maybe theater in toronto or theater in canada and that kind of incubation
1: well, I mean, I, the rhubarb festival is such an important festival in in Toronto and in in Canada, and especially what I think they're doing now with it, it's 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 um, it's become. It's it's become less about necessarily um, play development. I think it was more play develop more about play development in the early years. Now it's about kind of more experimentation. I think. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but but it there's a lot more um, uh, kind of performance artists coming in. And which I think is a like I think it's a great thing what they're doing with the festival because it, it's it's introducing people that you may never have heard of as 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 theater artists um, and kind of giving them a voice and I think it's a it's a shame that they are not you know able to give them a little bit of extra cash to to you know buy that important prop that they need to buy or like i don't know exactly how it's impacted the festival right now like i think you know um I, I just did a focus for it the other day and everything seems to be running all right but i don't know the specific you know i don't know the logistics of the day-to-day finance. right so it's gonna <laughs> yeah. they're gonna it's gonna continue yeah. yeah the
0: plan is not to cancel it the plan no. is to continue yeah. on i guess it's an important festival
1: yeah
0: um SummerWorks is a bit different. It's a curated mm-hmm. festival. There's yep. an artistic director. Um, does that require a bit more of a soft touch when it comes to lighting design, or is mm-hmm. it the same approach as you would get at the fringe, where you've got 120 companies and it's free for all?
1: Well, it's. I mean, uh, it, it hasn't always been a curated festival. It started out as a as a um, Toronto Toronto's response to. Uh, people that didn't necessarily get into the fringe, so it was created to give another venue for Toronto theatre artists to uh, to perform. Um, and only in the last, I guess, I don't know, seven years or eight years, has it has become a curated festival. Um, and things have sort of uh, changed in terms of what is available to 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 uh, like in terms of technical um, abilities. There's a, they, they get a longer tech rehearsal, which I think helps um, create a little bit of a better, um, a better product. Um, but as a, as a designer, it doesn't necessarily impact. I still want, you know, I still try and do the same job, uh, it, like a, a, as a house designer as, as any other festival. So, yeah.
0: Now the, the, the Shaw festival is a different mm-hmm. animal. It's a much larger beast. It is a <clears throat> rep theater festival. Mm-hmm and and each each production obviously is fully formed mm-hmm. you did arcadia there what were your, what year did you do arcadia
1: uh just this past summer just
0: this past summer yeah uh and it was in the studio yep. theater um and that's the new venue there, is that right? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a, a rehearsal hall turned into a... <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I think it was always designed to be a to be a performance space, yeah. but but they use it as a rehearsal hall for most of the season. Right,
0: <laughs> and it is a rehearsal hall, a rehearsal hall for quite large venues, so it's not a small. Oh yeah, space. no, it's not a small space. It's very big. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah. In, in for, for most no. sort of small black block yeah. theaters in yeah. Toronto, it's a it's, it's a huge. As it's twice the big, yeah. big. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Factory Theatre in of Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you now? Was this a rep?
1: No, no, the two I've been, I've done the last two summers there. I did Helen's necklace uh, there the year before, um, and uh, the good thing about being in the studio is that you have your own plot. <laughs> right, so there's no negotiation with anyone. Yeah, else. no, I don't have to really talk to anyone else if I don't right. want. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's yeah, much better. Uh, <laughs> Take that. Yeah.
0: Arcadia posed you some challenges, mm-hmm. right? It's the Tom Stoppard yeah. play, so it's not a new play. No, it's got a rich history, yeah. and there's a way that some people think it should be done. Mm-hmm. So, how did you approach it, and what mm-hmm. uh, what sort of difficulties did mm-hmm. you run into?
1: Um, well, I I mean it's a it's an incredibly dense play. Like it's pretty. It's um it's got so much science and mathematics and like figuring out the um, the, the the patterns of what the play actually is was extremely difficult for all of us. Um, and I think um, um, I think that uh, we we were we were able to eventually get there, but because of the the structure of of the festival, um, by the time we figured out what the ending was going to be, it was kind of too late to fix it. <laughs> um, so uh, we were playing catch up for. For so long, um, just trying to just trying to get, and and a lot of it rested on me because um, because we hadn't figured things out until way too late. It was it was kind of too late for me to 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 get it right. So I I couldn't add new lights because it was too late to add new lights. I had to use exactly what was in the air, which was not necessarily um, what we needed. Um, so it, you know, like your question earlier about um, you know what to do when. <laughs> <laughs> when it's too late to fix things, or or what, what? When do you decide? Is it too late to fix things? This was definitely a case of that. So yeah. So
0: despite the fact that it was a, it was its own production, you still yeah. have to deal with actor schedules and yeah. the rep schedule. You're using people yeah. that are doing two or three other shows. Yeah. Already.
1: So so yeah. That and that that's exactly the reason that we weren't able to fix it because we were only able to rehearse, you know, four hours a day. So because the play was so long that was our re- our rehearsal was running the play right. so in order to actually fix things we couldn't i had to do things sort of yeah,
0: <laughs> who puts Arcadia in yeah. that time slot? That's yeah, kind of strange <laughs> too. But it's a but you know that's how we discover new things. Yeah,
1: and it, I mean it was it was it ended up being a really it was a really beautiful production. I think it was quite successful on many levels. If I were if I had the opportunity to to do it again, I would uh, revamp how I how I did the ending. You know what I mean? Like it, it would be nice to get a chance to, to fix it. <laughs> right, of course, of course, because we always want to... <laughs> <laughs> we always want to fix it yeah. Kevin Lamont says <laughs> yeah. that
0: he wants yeah. to he, he every time yeah. he approaches something he wants it to be mm-hmm. the quintessential play he thinks this yeah. is what it should be done yeah. and very rarely do we have the opportunity yeah. to, to do that yeah. okay well thank you so much for chatting with me today um, Michelle Ramsey thank you thank you <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. That was my discussion with lighting designer Michelle Ramsey. It was great to speak with her, and I hope you have a sense of her life and her aesthetic. Next time on the title block, I speak with another lighting designer, Kevin Lamotte, and that will be out in a couple weeks, so come back and listen to us then. The intro and extra music is Podsafe Music by the 1990s, called See You by the Lights please go to iTunes and give us a review. It will help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it during your smoke break at the Zitzprobe, where you try not to meet the eye of the props guy whose lighter you borrowed and did not give back. I am Michael Cruz, and I will see you next time on The Title Block. I see light in you